of iBuzz, the animal care and welfare podcast by Animal Concepts and the Practical Animal Welfare Science The Pause platform. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and I'm delighted today to welcome Greg Safo, who is the curator of large carnivores at the National Zoological Park in DC in the United States. Welcome, Craig. Hey, thank you, Sabrina. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So it's always really good to hear somebody's story about how they got into this profession. Also, because, you know, some of our listeners might be students who are looking forward to getting into the field or, you know, even later in life. So perhaps you can share your story on how did you get working with animals? Oh, how much time do you have? Um, oh, <laughs> so. yeah, we could split it up. So we'll <laughs> <No. free> <laughs> I appreciate it. No, so I my story of getting into the zoo field Go, stretches back almost 30 years. So when I um, I went to school, uh, of course, I'm, I'm in the US. I went to North Carolina State University and I studied animal science because I thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, I grew up loving animals like most people who enter our field, but I did not know what my options were. I thought my only option was to go into veterinary medicine. So I studied pre-vet. Um, I was very fortunate that I had a professor single me out. Uh, of course, at the time, I felt like she was going to tell me that I was failing her class. So she asked me to stay after class one, one session and scared the life out of me. But it ended up that she saw that I was bored in her class. She said that I looked bored. And I was embarrassed by that. But it led to a very frank discussion. And she asked me what I wanted out of veterinary medicine. And we chatted for, for what must have been an hour or more. Um, and she helped me to realize that I don't want to be a veterinarian, you know, that in order to become a veterinarian, I needed to love medicine. And I did not, nor do I love medicine. I, I love animals. And she, that was the first person who ever took the time to explain to me what it means to actually be a veterinarian. And so at first, I remember very distinctly, my heart was breaking. I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? But she, in that same conversation, talked to me about animal husbandry and animal behavior. And I had no idea that there were career choices available for for animal behavior and husbandry. And and after she explained to me what animal husbandry actually is, I said, that sounds wonderful, but how do people, do people make a living doing that? And she, she just, again, keep in mind, I was, I think, 19 years old at the time. <laughs> and she told me that, that, you know, working in a zoo is a very viable uh, career choice if I were to choose to investigate it. Um, she, through, through connections that she had, she connected me with people at the University of Maryland who knew of internships at the National Zoo in DC. And I was able to secure an internship. And as soon as I walked in the door here at the National Zoo, I just fell in love with working at the zoo. Um, the environment, the people, of course, the animals. I was lucky enough to get an internship working with the cheetahs uh, at that time. And uh, from there, my career really just snowballed. I met the right people at the right times. Uh, I had a lot of luck, you know, uh, it's 
I hate to say this, it's bad luck for the person it happened to, but a keeper went out on an injury um, shortly after I started my, my second internship. Uh, and my boss at the time encouraged me to apply for the position. I applied for the position and I got the position. So a, a lot of luck in who I met along the way and who kind of guided me to to what who took the time to listen to me and mentor me and, and so i i think having those mentors all the way from dr austin mills at, at nc state to you know stewart and john seidensticker and people at the zoo who i who i met and mentored me uh and then just just having the drive at that point you know once you fall in love with something I, uh, the passion was there and I wanted to succeed. So I, I was very lucky and the, the career just snowballed from there. I, again, was lucky enough to work my way from being an animal keeper to being an assistant curator and then now a full curator. Uh, and that's, it, it's, been a, it's been a whirlwind 27 years now. <laughs> yes, yeah, a very long whirlwind. And how wonderful that, you know, in our profession, of course, caring for animals, we're always looking at the individual, right? Even though we have a group and how wonderful that at the time at the university, your you know, um, professor really paid attention to individuals within her class and you know, helped you and mentored you. And that is just a really great story. And I think also, again, sometimes we, you and I have both been in this field for 30 years and sometimes we, you know, especially when we start, we don't necessarily know all the types of jobs that are available in our profession, right? Whether it's um, some people are really good with data crunching and other people are really good at designing technology to observe animals. And so, yeah, it's just a really great also, which is, you know, and you, you also talk about mentors and um, mentors is certainly, you know, something that I think resonates with all of us, hopefully, that, you know, we've had different people in our lives that mentor us. And I still, you know, I'm almost 50 and I still have mentors, luckily. That's, right? I, I was just speaking with somebody the other day and I said, oh my gosh, we can never forget that the mentors need mentoring. You know, uh, yes. I, I cannot stress that enough to the people with whom I work that, man, the, the most fun part of this career field in my mind is that I never feel like I've stopped learning. And that means, of course, I have somebody to learn from. So I'm, I'm being mentored as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. One of my favorite hashtags that I use a lot is hashtag forever student, uh, because, you know, it. we are always, it. you know, we can mentor people and we need to be mentored or, yeah, or yeah. learn in all kinds of different ways. And of yeah. course, you also talked about, you know, not necessarily knowing what sort of career options there were or to get into certain fields and you had help with that as well and um of course today what we're really you know going to talk about of course is the uh, association that you and others um founded so perhaps you can talk a little bit about you have a beautiful uh, quote, I'm actually going to read it. It's on the association's website and it says, a diverse mix of voices leads to better discussions, decisions and outcomes for everyone from Sundar Pichai, if I don't mispronounce it. But could you tell us more about AMZAP? What does it stand for? Absolutely. So AMZAP is the Association of Minority Zoo and Aquarium Professionals. And 
it the organization started out as as many organizations i'm sure animal concepts started out as just a thought in in your mind you know and this one started in my mind but i i try to stay very clear with people that a group like amzap is is one that has a goal of of affecting a lot of people and because that, that goal is so so broad it's not a concept that's unique in my mind I think a lot of people have had ideas like this, that what, what you can do if you look at the zoo and aquarium industries in the United States, you will see a dearth, an absolute dearth of, of ethnic minority, of ethnic representation. Um, for, so when you see that, you see that our field is, is loaded with a very stereotypical type of person. And these days that type of person is no offense to anybody, but are white females. And that's okay. The white females have done a great job leading our zoo world, you know, for the past almost the whole 30 years that I've been in, in the field. And and that's fine. But at a certain point you start to go, is there is there room for representation? There is. And you start to ask the questions of why there's not. So for me as a black man, in the field for this long, I I go to conferences, you know, and I notice that, well, I'm the only one, you know, I'm the only black person at the conference. And at first I thought that, yeah, this is just, I'm just being sensitive, you know, this isn't something. But after a while you start to ask a couple of other colleagues of yours and they say, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I've, I've gone to conferences and I'm the only Asian person at the conference or something like that. And so when the concept came up, or when the when the thought got to be really heavy on my mind is when I went to a felid tag conference in in Fresno, California. And going to that conference, I walked out on the zoo day. We had not too long before then sent a lion out to Fresno. And that lion, I went to go see that animal during zoo day. And the zoo had prepared a um, a training session for the for the attendance of the felid tag. And, uh, and I walked out and out walks a, a very young black man, you know, um, and he walked out and my first thought was, oh, they let their volunteers come out and do stuff with the cats. And then I was mortified at, almost immediately at my own thought. I was doing exactly what I hate when people do to me making the assumption that this black man walking out had to be a volunteer he couldn't be a professional animal care uh, animal keeper and um and so i i well i felt bad so i had to stop him after the session was done and talk to him and we chatted for a bit and he laughed i told him that i thought he was a volunteer and he laughed and and he said he gets it every he gets that every once in a while and i get that at my zoo where people think i'm a volunteer and i go nope i'm actually a almost 30 year animal I'm a, I'm a supervisor at the zoo you know and um and so we chatted and we laughed and I said well you're the reason that I thought you were a volunteer is because I've literally never met another black man who takes care of lions you know I as far as I was concerned I'm the only one you know logically speaking I, I know that I can't be the only one but you're the first person who I've met of color who takes care of big cats like I do and you're in California and I'm in DC there have to be others in between us. So wouldn't it be neat if we could actually talk to each other, if we could actually, you know, spitball some of the, some of the ideas we have, some of the feelings that we've had, um, you know, and, and just share some of our similarities. 
And so that's where the concept really kind of was seeded at first. And that was in 2018 uh, for me. Um, in talking to a lot of my colleagues now, I've, I've heard from several colleagues who have said, we thought of doing something very similar. We just couldn't get it off the ground. So I feel very lucky that the group within the National Zoo who helped me to start this group, that we had the resources and we had the drive to just, as I've said to people, push the boulder over the cliff and just start the group and see what happened. And the reception has been great so far. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's such a, you know, obviously people are going to be listening to us. They can't see it. But of course, you know, you and I have been smiling and you talked about how you were laughing with that other person and also how we catch you know, I catch myself sometimes thinking things and I'm like, oh, my dear, you know, why am I thinking that? And I think we all do that. Right. But we don't necessarily always are happy or willing to have these open conversations that we have stereotypic ideas or feelings. Um, and that and how do we then whether that is about color or about religion or about, you know, preference and but how do we make it open you know how can we discuss how can we share and how can we amend right how can we also make changes and make things different um and so i think you know one of the things that would be valuable if you could talk a little bit more about what minority means in that sense Absolutely. And I, I love the way you just said that, because I think every single one of us has, I, I think certain phrases have been tossed around um, because race is such a, a big uh, topic these days. And we talk about unconscious bias and we talk about it as though it's something that only bad people have. I don't think that's true. I think we all have a little bit of unconscious bias. And uh, I talked about my situation of, of having seen Nathaniel come out and making my assumptions. That didn't mean that I thought Nathaniel was a bad guy. It just meant that I had these, these blocks in my head of what I thought something meant, even though I am that person. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. But for, for us, minority and I'm really glad you brought this up, minority for us, we're, we're focusing on racial and ethnic minorities in the United States. And the, the reason that question is really important to me is because we've actually been approached by, by people of other minority groups. Um, we've been approached by people outside the US who ask if we have an if this organization is gonna go global. We're not there yet because I don't know what the minority what minority might mean in Mexico. What my, I would assume that in Mexico, the minority would be a white person, you know, um, ethnic minority anyway, uh, Asia, you know, Africa, you know, I guess the closest uh, melting pot kind of places would be places in Europe um, that, that have multiple uh, skin tones and, and ethnicities uh, all in one place. But for us, minority is a racial or ethnic minority as it's defined in the US. So in the US, the majority is Caucasian, white people. Um, and especially in the zoo field, that, that's the majority. So minority would be Black, Asian, um, Hispanic, uh, you know, uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, we have Middle Eastern folks. Um, the other minorities that we, we certainly acknowledge our religious minorities you know um, in the u.s that would be muslims uh jewish folks um you know people of, of faiths like that um and, and there are many more 
And then we think about lifestyle differences. Um, so we think about the LGBTQ community, we think about the disabled community, and we've been approached by people from, from those uh, walks of life as well. And we acknowledge and we respect people who have any difference or, or things that can be perceived as differences. Um, however, we have, what we have really recognized is that we have to stay focused. If we try to take on everybody's issues, we're not gonna be able to succeed. Um, just trying to focus on race and ethnicity has been a plateful for us. And we've managed to gain some traction. What I have said to other groups is especially, and we've had most of our conversations truthfully have been with the LGBTQ community. Um, we have many members who are LGBTQ, uh, but they are also racial or ethnic minorities. Um, and so that's what we focus on, but we also acknowledge and pay tribute to the lifestyle that that they live in the world the other world that they live in which does not get the respect or the recognition it it needs and in but the the focus is slightly different what we found is that for the lgbtq community it seems that the focus needs to be on how do you make other lgbtq professionals feel comfortable enough to express their their um their lgbtq status so that they don't have to hide themselves uh and that's that's a very valid discussion but a very different focus than what amzap is for for amzap it's the racial and ethnic minorities that we would like to see more, basically in a, in a very frank sense, we just wanna see more color as we look at the, at the zoo and aquarium employee field. Um, and when we see that, we feel that exactly as the quote that you mentioned, we get people from all walks of life, from, from various ethnicities who bring different ideas to something, a, a, a career field that is very subjective, uh, animal care, often has no right answer to, to how to solve a problem. No singular right answer to how to solve a problem. What we can see is that if you look at people from different walks of life, you get different ideas on how to address certain issues with animals. Um, and even with people, you know, how do you solve certain staffing issues and things like that? Uh, so the, the, we don't just wanna see the difference of color but in ideas and, and what people bring to the table. And that, that's, a, that's a huge focus point for us. So for us, minority is the racial and ethnic minorities uh, as they present themselves. And our eyes are even being open to new things. So for instance, I had not given very much thought to, well, what about our Jewish brothers and sisters? Are, do they feel as though they're minorities and they would like to see a larger Jewish presence in zoos? Well, we had two, we've had at least two members join us who are white, but they're Jewish and they want to feel very proud of their, their Jewish faith and their, their, their lifestyle because Judaism, as many religions, are lifestyles. They're not just faith-based. It's, it's a whole lifestyle. And I, myself, being non-denominational, I didn't even think about that. And, and that's how I try to put myself in the shoes of our white colleagues who can't, who can't always understand that being a racial minority, you feel isolated sometimes. You just feel like you're alone um, and you don't have people who you can talk to in that familiar sense that you need to have friends to talk to. And, um, and 
so it's it's opened my eyes to other people who have similar needs. So it's been a fun journey. Yes, and you mentioned, you know, of course, um, there are so many things in this world to know about, right? And sometimes even when we're, we think we want to be inclusive and diverse and we want to pay attention and we want to be respectful, there are going to be so many things that you just don't know, right? Also because you don't know what you don't know because you, it's not necessarily in your you know, in your field of like, say, primate vision, as we are very primate focused, of course, it's um, in the sense of visually focused as a a human being, right? But also just what you have been exposed to, or your education, so many things. And, um, and, you know, for me, uh, some years ago, I went to a conference, and the first talk was opened by somebody who um, spoke in sign language, so she was signing her talk and you know somebody was doing the translation for us and that to me was really the first time i was exposed to somebody with a different ability a different way of being in the world and you know it makes you think like we obviously animal concepts is a company that works with all kinds of people all around the world but you know i don't usually work with people who can't hear because they right. don't tend to be in our job. So we don't necessarily think about educational uh, opportunities or other things that need to happen for people who don't hear. Right. And I think it is also, of course, then also true for ethnic minorities or other you know, minorities or other ways of being in the world that you just don't always know. And you mentioned, of course, you kind of had to get it off the ground. You luckily had the support from uh, the National Zoo, from the Smithsonian Institution, and um, and others tried, but didn't necessarily made it happen. And of course, your focus at, you know, also helped, you know, probably moving this forward. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about that, like how, you know, you had that support, how you made it happen. And that, of course, you know, at some point you do need to decide what you can focus on, what you can put your your time and effort to, and who knows what it will be in the future. But for now, this focus was important, right? So perhaps you can talk a little bit about how it, you know, was founded and the support of the of the Smithsonian. Absolutely. So that is um, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people could benefit from hearing because there are so many ideas out there of how to start a a good idea. Um, Just people are so full of great ideas and, but we're all busy. We have, we have real jobs. We have, you know, things we have to take care of, you know, my animals not training the way it should be training, or, you know, I I'm transferring an animal and that takes up your time. But for us, we had a little bit of a mixed blessing and I never want to portray anything as, as profoundly, uh, devastating as COVID as being a blessing, but what it did was shut the zoo down, you know? And so while we were shut down, like, like most of the rest of the world, we found ourselves coming into work and only taking care of animals, which doesn't take up all of our day. So we had a bit of time. I, myself, I had a bit of time to devote to really putting this, these thoughts that had been jumbled in my head for a few years onto paper and actually ask myself some tough questions. Like, is this just an idea that I want to start because woohoo, yay, look at me, I'm Craig, I'm a black man in the zoo. Or is there an actual goal here? 
And so I was able to sit and speak with a bunch of people, my wife, my colleagues, you know, and ask them, you know, and have them ask me the tough questions. You know, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? What, what do you want to get out of this? What I, and I was able to answer those questions. Um, and fortunately, I was able to answer the questions in such a way that led us to our mission, you know, of, which sounds very simple, but it took a long time to circle back and get to what that mission is. And that mission is just to increase minority representation in zoos and aquariums. Um, I actually even asked some of my my colleagues, my friends in the business world, what what it means to actually you know come up with a mission. And so they helped me out quite a bit there. Along with that mission is well, how do you achieve that mission? What are your what are your goals? And so we were able to come up with some really good goals, and and we were able to really focus on how what we wanted to try to achieve. Um, all of that being said, then it was time to hit the hit the hit the streets, as I, as I say, and and try to drum up some support. So from for myself, I I know that I'm not the only minority in this field because I have several colleagues who who are minorities who work in buildings that surround mine. Um, and just to give you a little bit more information on how the evolution of this group went, when I met Nathaniel in Fresno, uh, the idea at first was to start this thing called. And we, we had kind of called it the fraternity of black zookeepers. And then we went, well, when I got back to DC, I went literally the guy who is, he's one of my best friends, of course, at the zoo world, but also we're good friends outside the zoo. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. So we're good friends. He's a Puerto Rican man. And I went, well, Juan and I grew up at the zoo together. I can't have a fraternity of black zookeepers and exclude Juan, my Puerto Rican friend, you know? So then we started thinking, and this goes to your comment about not knowing what you don't know or not, not thinking as deeply as you might need to think. And so we started thinking, well, black people and Hispanic people are not the only minorities in the US. We have Asian colleagues, we have Middle Eastern colleagues, we have everything in between there. So, so that's where we switched from the word black zookeepers to minority zookeepers. Then when we started really focusing uh, during this COVID time, we sat and went, well, wait a minute, Juan and I are both zookeepers. You know, we're both husbandry people, but we have friends who are researchers and minorities. We have friends who are veterinarians and minorities. We have friends who are maintenance mechanics and minorities, educators and minorities. And so we went, if our goal is to try to draw people of color into the zoo and aquarium field, we need to make them aware of the, the, the vast number of career choices that there are in zoos and aquariums. Because as you said really well, uh, earlier in this discussion, there are so many career choices, you know, from IT professional to veterinarian and everything in between. And the more we make people aware that all of these disciplines are available to, to as careers in zoos, the more people will attract. And so that's when we became zoo and aquarium professionals, you know, and so, so all of that had to, that took time to come up with. And so COVID happening gave us that time to devote to it. Um, and then there was the other, the most key element that you mentioned, support. You know, this stuff does not happen just because Craig Sappho believes in it. You know, it happens because, uh, it, it happens because Craig Sappho may have, may have kicked that ball a little bit, but it happens because other people see the value in it. And, and really, 
what I've discovered is that other people's buy-in is super important. I've, I've heard some people go, I don't care what other people think, you know, about this. Well, you should, <laughs> because other people caring about what you think keeps the momentum going and keeps keeps you learning. What can we do differently to get more people interested in this? And, and, and the more people who are interested in it, the more people can help you uh, achieve your goals. And so when I started this, and, and we spoke earlier as well about mentors, my, my current mentor, one of my current mentors, happens to be one of the senior managers at the zoo. She's actually currently the director of our zoo, but uh, at the time she was the deputy director. And when I, when I introduced the idea to her, she and I have known each other for, she's almost 20 years. Um, so we know each other very well. And when she didn't say that's a stupid idea, Craig, that gave me belief. You know, when she said, that's a really good idea. You should really think about moving that to the next level. So when somebody at that level, you know, my boss's boss says to me, that's a good idea. Keep going. It makes me feel that this is worthwhile. So then I start to speak about it more freely with people. And once she gave me that kind of um, confidence to keep, keep moving it forward, I started mentioning it to more people. And suddenly I was invited to come and speak to our director at the time. And he allowed me to speak to the entire senior team, which is like for me, at the curatorial level, that's the big table. I got to go sit at the big table, you know, and, and I felt like a kid at, at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, you know, at, at my house, the Thanksgiving dinner was always separated from the kids' table to the adult table. And I felt as though I had been invited to come sit at the adult table. And, um, and they liked the idea. And that just gave me more confidence to keep going. So within the Smithsonian structure, I found quite a bit of support um, because people just, I, I think a mixture of things. I think people believe in, um, in representation. They believe in ethnic and racial representation. That's, that made me feel great. And then they just, they believed in me as a potential champion for, for this effort. Um, and they gave me some of the resources that I needed. One of the resources being just confidence to keep moving forward. Um, one of the most impactful discussions that I was able to have was when, and again, this is the Smithsonian structure. You know, we are a group of several museums. The zoo is one of those museums. Um, we are headed by a person who sits at a seat called the secretary. So the secretary of the Smithsonian um, is the big boss of the entire Smithsonian. Um, and our current secretary is a black man. Um, he's a historian. He's not a, he's not a zoo person, but he's our first black secretary. And so for me to sit, I, I was able to have a meeting with Dr. Bunch. Uh, and when I sat at that table, I mean, my eyes are as wide as saucers and I'm, I can't believe I'm sitting with the secretary of the Smithsonian. And one of the most impactful things he told me, which I think will hopefully will resonate with some people listening to this who also may have good ideas, is that you can't wait for it for, to get approval from every single person in your institution to move forward. You just need to move forward but you also need to be smart about how you move forward. You don't do it stupidly. And that those are his frank words to me. Be bold, but don't be stupid. You know, um, have a plan, have an idea, have goals to, to reach, and then go looking for that support. Um, and that's, that's the roadmap that we used. And when we were able to, I keep, I'm very fond of saying we pushed the boulder over the ledge. 
because it's scary when you finally decide to throw this out there because you don't know how it's going to be received by people. Um, and, and I was definitely afraid that, that people were going to come back and say, this is a silly idea. This is not going to work. I think that fortunately people could see the amount of effort that we put into it. And I, I switched along that way from saying I did this or I did that to we, because it, when you're, when you're thinking about a group like this, it, it takes a, a group of people to do it. So my colleagues who also supported me in thinking that the idea was a good one, who became our steering committee, our current steering committee, um, really, I mean, they jumped in. How can we help? What can we do to make this move forward? So that's when it became this nucleus of we are moving this forward. Um, and it also kind of gets you out of the, out of the, the feeling of, I'm going to look stupid by myself if this thing fails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we uh, we all kind of went into it together and we pushed the boulder over the ledge. And and that's really it, it started with just just us believing that this was a great idea. And and then our our superiors agreeing. And and that's where it started. Yes, that's just wonderful. And I'm so glad that you bring up also the different types and nuances of support because people might you know, you, we might think about uh, you need money or you need, you know, like the resources, but it often uh, the first thing you need is, you know, people believing in your idea and support and bouncing back and forth. And also this, you know, you highlight kind of this time and the evolution, how things changed. And I remember when we connected, uh, there were also some evolutions on, you know, the association and the, and so, you know, and you spoke also about, of course, what the focus is now and that you have conversations and it's this kind of dynamic thing that will always keep evolving, right? But the, the differences of support and how important it is to, you know, be together, uh, to go from the I to the we and, uh, and get support like that. And, uh, and I like also this, of course, you know, you and I are recording this podcast in June, 2021, and you're still, you know, pandemic in the world and, you know, as much devastation um, and, you know, terrible outcomes, there are also things indeed that have sprung from it that have moved things forward or allowed you to have the time. Sometimes we do have to have time to really, you know, like you talked earlier about deeply thinking about things. Um, and sometimes, you know, we don't have that. Um, and also, can, how can then we create that time to talk, right? And That's you also mentioned that this is not necessarily new. Other people have talked about it, but also other people, of course, have gone before you in these professions. And perhaps you can talk a little bit more about we weren't the first, which is a beautiful section to which we will link uh, on your on the website of AMZAP. Absolutely. I'm, I really love that you brought that up because the we weren't the first section was something that I've, I've always felt very, very strongly that we as people in general have to look back at history and see what was important then that brought us to where we are now. And we, we, there is a dearth of minorities in the profession. But that doesn't mean there are no minorities in our profession. There are minorities in our profession. And at, at a time in our history, there were even fewer minorities in our profession. So there were people who paved the way for us, um, who made their mark first. Um, for me, 
I look back at, at some of my mentors coming up. So you you were very uh, kind in letting me tell my my story of how I got into the field. Well, my my mentor, my that first mentor, well, my very first mentor was a white, a white veterinarian who allowed me to come and watch surgeries at, at his uh, hospital. My next person that I look at as a mentor was my professor at NC State, who was a black woman. Uh, and then when I came into the zoo, I had mentors, black and white. And um, when I look at some of the people who mentored me, some of the black people who mentored me when I got to this field, I didn't appreciate then the difficult road that they must have had. Because when I came into the field, that was Lisa Stevens. She was the curator of primates. Well, she started out as a big cat keeper and her career evolved, but she came in in the 1970s when there were very few women in the field, much less black women in the field. And so to recognize that she had a rough road, uh, a, a tough road, uh, and she overcame obstacles in order to be what ended up being a, um, she became someone who I could look up to and say, I appreciate where what she allowed me to be able to do and then i got to meet more and more of those people uh so we we want to make sure that people understand the stories of the people who came before us that that we we're not the first ones we're the ones who pushed this particular boulder over the ledge you know with a with a hint of arrogance i can hope that one day maybe people will speak of me <laughs> in a sense that says hey craig did this one thing that was kind of cool back in the day yeah. um and uh, and I, I hope, I think we all want to leave a bit of a legacy. Um, and also it's just to show appreciation that, you know, I think far too often I've gone through my life and I've reached a certain place and I've forgotten to say thank you to the people who made my road possible. So I think that's a very important thing to do. And, and I, I feel like this is a way that I can say thank you to some of the people who mentored me coming through. And I'm hopeful that others will look at those folks and learn from them as well as learn from the people who are currently in the field. So the We Were at the First is a very personally important section of, of AMZAP to me because those people, most of those people affected me and my career personally. Yes, that's beautiful. And I think, again, these honest conversations about I know that I haven't thanked everybody that has helped me uh, because at the time, maybe I didn't think of it or I didn't see the importance or nobody taught me how important that is to acknowledge it. And we do also all feel that we want to leave a mark on the world or make a difference and we want to be seen, right? We don't want. And so those are all really important open discussions and we'll definitely make sure to link to it. But what I also think is important is that it, uh, we and I'm now talking from my uh, perspective, I have to do my homework to understand better, to learn more and sorts of pages and sorts of stories of sharing feelings and ideas uh, is also going to help me become better educated at understanding what we as an organization or I as a person can do um, to support. So yeah, I thank you very much for adding that. And That's I guess- you know, on the, on the website, there's a lot of information for anybody to really look at, but perhaps you could talk a little bit to us about some of the purposes. So in what ways are you working? Um, to we're, So we're trying now 
to do two things, two major goals uh, of, of AMZAP. Again, we talked a little bit about having defined our goals. We're servicing, and I love this because as I've reached more and more people, I've learned, I've learned how to say things in a better way because I'm learning from the people who, I, who I'm meeting. And one person who I met said this in a, in a beautiful way, we are trying to nurture two pipelines. Uh, the two pipelines that we're trying to nurture are the existing minority professionals, because we have a core of minority professionals in US zoos and aquariums um, that's strong, but they need confidence. They need to know that they're recognized. They need to know that they have, um, they have validity in their careers. They have potential to move forward in their careers. Um, and, and keep that pipeline strong. And then we need to service the pipeline of people, potential people coming into the field. Um, so we're trying to do both. Um, we have, I feel that we've done a, a pretty good job in the last four months, four and a half months that we've been uh, in existence um, in that we've built a, a 200 plus member uh, membership base. Um, of those 200 plus members, we have about 180 who are minorities. That is not all of the minorities in US zoos and aquariums, but that's a, that's a really good start. And it's a really good place to say, tell your story. So you made the, the brilliant point that reading people, seeing people's stories, hearing people's stories of how they got to places can be profoundly impactful you know, because somebody else is going to identify with your story, whether it's my story of thinking that I could only be a veterinarian, you know, I'm sure there are others out there who feel the same way. Um, and then hearing, okay, so you did that by going this route. Well, there's a hundred different ways you can do it, but this is how I did it. Um, my friend Juan had a very similar story. You know, uh, I'm hearing uh, all these beautiful stories of our current professionals. And I don't think most people who work in zoos and aquarium, most people in general are just not arrogant people. They're not going to run up to you and say, Hey, guess what I did? Guess how, guess how I got to my career. But if you ask them, sure, they'll tell you their story. They should be proud of their stories. Um, both their professional stories and their personal stories we're finding. So when people are able to tell their personal stories, I, I heard a comment. I've heard a comment from this similar sentiment said by many people who have joined our organization, that they are what, what we call, or I've learned we call, white passing. So they are ethnic minorities, but they physically, they can pass for being white. And so they let people think that they're white. And some of our, our friends, and this is predominantly from people in our um, Asian, Hispanic, and Native American populations, um, you know, if they have one parent who's white and one parent who's a minority uh, and they themselves look white, oftentimes because we're, we are in a white dominated field, they just let people think they're white because it's easier to go along. But a lot of times what they've expressed to me since joining this group is I want to express my Native American heritage. I want to, uh, one of our Native American friends said to me that if she's not wearing pigtail or braids and feathers, people don't think she's Native American. Uh, but she feels a very strong connection to her Native American roots. And so she's, she's found the confidence to express herself 
much more freely. Um, we I've heard the same sentiment from some of my um, my Hispanic colleagues, my my biracial Hispanic colleagues, who say that you know I'm not a I'm not a Spanish speaking person, but my father is Mexican, my mother is white. Uh, I love my Mexican family. I love my Mexican heritage, and, and and being able to express that is is very very important to them. These are really important stories that you're sharing with us here. I'm really glad that you're doing this and also hearing other people's stories through your voice, because of course we are hearing this. And of course we invite everybody to go out and listen to everybody else's story. Like you say, the work story and the personal story. And, and can you talk to us a little bit about the three ways that you predominantly right now work and try and nurture and support your community? Yes. So the so that is how we are trying to help our current crop of minority professionals. And and that's that's one way. The other way is by offering to mentor those people as professionals. So we discussed both of us being on the, I won't say the twilight, we're on the we're on the back end of our careers, you know, we're in the 30-year the mark you know, area of our careers, but we're still learning from people. And, and I hope that that's something that the, the people who have been in this field for one, two, three, five years can recognize is that we're not just trying to impart wisdom because we're trying to show how smart we are. It's just that we've been down that road, much like the people who preceded us have been down the road. So we ask them how to do things. I also feel it's important for people at our stage in our careers, at the 20 plus year uh, range in our careers, to look to the younger people, the the newer people in the field and learn from them as well. So there's, it's a two way street. We're learning from everybody around us. Um, but to show those those people who are who are at the beginnings of their careers, how they can climb the ladder, how they can put themselves in a position to compete for senior leadership positions, you know, and, and that is a valuable tool. Um, it's super important to hear that from people who look and sound like you. Um, I, I often equate what we're doing to what women did have are doing in other fields and did in the zoo field. Um, women are, are miraculous people <laughs> um, because of the trials and tribulations that you guys have go through continually in a, in a male dominated society to get into positions that you are getting, starting to get the recognition you deserve. You're starting to get the pay you deserve, you know, um, and, and that's been an uphill battle. So if, if we as minorities can look and take notes from the women who have done this before and say, how did women do this? Well, they, they largely plastered you know, the stories of women who had reached points of success and they've told little girls, you can be just like her. You can be, you know, a leader in your field. You can be a scientist. You can be a mathematician and so forth. And that has had great results with, with, with women. Um, and we're hoping to do the same kind of thing, you know, show that I'm a black curator. Dr. Bunch is a black secretary of the Smithsonian. So you can do it too, you know, and, and so forth. And then we look at the people who want to come into this field. And I'm be, being very careful not to just say students because 
certainly the biggest population of people who want to come into this field are going to be students, people who are just out of college or who are currently in college. Um, but we also have people who never went to college but want to get into the zoo field or people who left the zoo field but want to come back into the zoo field or people who have had great careers doing something else in, in their life and are in their 30s and say, I don't want to do this or be in the corporate world. I think I love animals and they want to come into the zoo field. So we have people from all walks of life who want to come into the zoo field. I feel that it's our responsibility to try to show them a pathway that can put them in a position to compete for these positions. Um, and I keep saying compete for the positions because we don't ever want anybody to think that by, by connecting with AMZAP, you're going to get a job <laughs> at a zoo. <laughs> But by connecting with AMZAP, we will try to give you the advice and tools that can put you in a position to compete for a job at a zoo if you want it. These jobs are highly competitive. Um, lots of people want these jobs. And no matter your color, black, white, Hispanic, or otherwise, uh, it's, it's hard because you have to be the single best candidate to fill that one open position at whatever zoo. And that, I guess you could translate into any industry in the world. You know, you're trying to be the best candidate. But what we wanna do is show you that your skin color is not an obstacle to you being in this field. Um, it can actually be a benefit to you wanting to come into this field. Um, so those are the ways that we're trying to help people. We're trying to offer mentorship to both people who are already in the field and to people who want to be in the field. We're trying to offer um, resources. The resources that we're offering, the resource that we're offering is knowledge. We're, we're offering you the ability to connect with and, and get your foot in the door with somebody who works in a zoo professionally. Um, you and I both know, I'm, I'm hoping you'll agree with this, that our field is just about as much about what you know as who you know. You know, if you know people and you can make connections with people, all of a sudden, many more doors open up for you. So, and getting to know people doesn't mean who do you give money to and things like that. It just means who have you bothered to send an email to? Who have you said hello to, you know, and talked about, talked with? And so we're offering people that opportunity. Meet this person who works at, at the San Diego Zoo. You go, oh, you live in Michigan. Well, meet this person at the Detroit Zoo. And if you're interested in the zoo field, talk to this person at the Detroit Zoo. You know? And so we're trying to offer a platform for people to both express themselves and to connect with people. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I think also, you know, you highlighted the importance of really hard work. Of course, there's a, a bit of luck involved, but most of it in this uh, profession is just in our, in our communities, a lot of hard work, whether it's creating and building a network of people or the knowledge. And I think knowledge is sometimes a little underrated with regards to resources, but just the, the knowledge that you have through your network. And, um, you know, like I'm a psychologist by training, so, you know, if I need help with nutrition or with IT or anything else, you know, I need to have a lot of people in my network to make things happen for animals or people or for the planet, right? So, and I think knowledge often is underrated. So I'm so glad that you mentioned um, that. And, and I think one of the important 
things that really uh, was brought out to me also is the ability to tell your stories and to also come forth with what is important um, rather than having to kind of like you talked about white passing and, and that again, thank you. I had never heard of that. So again, I will go and do my homework, but this not being able to be who you are or immediately being stereotyped, if you don't look like this or behave like that, then, you know, you, why are you um, a native American or, you know, so those things are really important to share all those, uh, the having a community where it's safe to do that. And I'm really glad that, that you have created that with the steering committee and with the support. And of course, you know, people who are listening might want to know, you know, how can I become an MZEP member? And also, you know, something about accredited facilities. Perhaps you can briefly talk about that as well. Absolutely. So that the first they kind of lend right to each other, right? The um, becoming an AMZAP member is actually something that, again, when we started really focusing on what our goals were, we said, okay, if we're going to put people out there to mentor people, we need to have we we need to have professionals mentoring these people. So, how do you define professional? Because our field is one in which. Anybody, I mean, one of the, the the animal facts that we have since I take care of big cats is that there are more tigers in private ownership than there are in the wild, you know? Um, and so any, any Tom, Dick, or Harry can have a tiger in their backyard. Is that person a professional animal keeper? Or, yeah, and so can they teach someone how to safely and professionally work with these big cats, um, they may argue that they can, but what's the measure for that? You know, um, so we we as a group decided, okay, we're going to go with accredited facilities uh, and people who work in accredited facilities as being people we qualify as as professionals in this sense. That does not mean if you do not work in an accredited facility that you are absolutely not a professional. That's not what that means. Um, so we don't want anybody to uh, to misinterpret what we're saying. Uh, it just means that our, we had to set the bar somewhere. And so we set that bar at accredited facilities. So what does accreditation mean? Um, accredited Accreditation organizations are, there are a few of them. A lot of people are very, very, very aware of AZA, the, um, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums here in the US. Uh, AZA is perhaps one of the biggest accrediting organizations, but we're very careful not to say that you have to work at an AZA accredited zoo uh, or aquarium, just an accredited. So if you are AZA accredited, certainly you're accredited, but there's another group called ZAA, uh, the Zoological Association of America. They also accredit zoos and aquariums. And then we have to think about zoos and aquariums aren't the only facilities that, that house animals from which people can learn and people could want to get into the field. Uh, we have a lot of sanctuaries in the US and there is a sanctuary accrediting organization called GFAS. It's the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. Um, and then I very recently found out about another accrediting organization. It's mainly with aquariums and it's AMM. PA. It's the Alliance of Marine Mammal Parks and Aquariums. And those are four relatively large accrediting organizations in the U.S. What do they all have in common? They inspect their facilities. They have, a, they have an expectation of professional standards that 
are kept for every one of the facilities that they deem as accredited. Um, and those professional standards are, are great. They vary slightly between the, the accrediting organizations, but, but the things that are, that are held in common are there's an animal welfare component, there's safety components, there are uh, research components sometimes. Uh, so there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into being an accrediting facility or accrediting organization. So it's not just being certified. And that's unfortunately what some people think because while USDA is a wonderful organization uh, and, and they certainly perform a very valuable service, uh, USDA is not inspecting your facility for for the same professional standards that these other uh, organizations are, are inspecting your facility for. So if you work at a facility that is accredited by any, any of these organizations, or maybe you're accredited by someone else who is, I'd love to learn of other accrediting organizations. Um, and again, we're speaking of only organizations within the US, right? So there are other accrediting organizations in other countries, um, but we're focused on US. So uh, if you work at one of those facilities, you can be an AMZAP member. If you don't work at one of those facilities, but you still believe in our goal and, and you want to try to help, we one of the things that we've learned in this process of evolution that you mentioned is that we wanted to create another membership category, and that's an affiliate membership category that we've decided on. So affiliate members might be people who work at, a, at an and at an organization, a zoo or aquarium that just isn't accredited. Maybe it's a brand new facility and they just haven't gone through the accreditation process. Maybe it's a facility that couldn't afford to be accredited because it does cost money to become accredited. Um, so it, that doesn't mean you're not professional. That just means you work in a facility that maybe it's a small facility and maybe you're doing great work. Um, but that would put you in the affiliate category. So the difference between a professional member and an affiliate member is that a professional member of AMZAP has, is looked at and goes directly into our mentor pool. So if I get a, a request for somebody, from a student to, to be mentored, I'm going to only look in my professional category. But the affiliate members certainly get kept abreast of what we're doing. They can participate in AMZAP. And if they do either switch over to, to working in an accredited facility or if, they, um, if their facility becomes accredited, then they can switch over to being a mentor as well. Um, and then the big question, and it's kind of, it's almost the elephant in the room question, is do you have to be a minority to be a member of AMZAP? you absolutely do not have to be a minority. And that's something that, that we feel very strongly about. Um, race is a very touchy topic, at least here in the US. I'm imagining all over the world, it's a touchy topic, but, uh, but it, gets, it gets very sensitive. And we say oftentimes that we need to have tough discussions, but then who's gonna have those tough discussions? So one of the tough discussions is just even mentioning the word black person or white person sometimes makes people get a little uncomfortable and you go, why you're white? There's nothing wrong with being white. I'm black. There's nothing wrong with being black. You know, we should both be proud of our heritages and we can work towards the same goal, even if the goal does not directly affect you as a white person. Um, you may believe in our goal, 
I believe in a lot of women's issues. We talked about women's issues. I'm not a woman, <laughs> but I, I want to support the women in my life. Um, so fortunately, we're able to look at this in such a way that there is no way we would discriminate against our white colleagues because this 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 group is the exact opposite of discrimination. We we want to be more accepted and more visually represented as minorities. We want white people to be a part of our group if they want to be a part of our group. Um, the key is you have to agree with our mission. That's it. So you can be white and join our group. The different, the only difference is with our white members, we we do not put the spotlight on you. Um, the spotlight goes on to our minority members because we feel it's important. And by spotlight, I mean, if you look at our website, hopefully you'll go and visit our website, you'll see pictures of our minority members. You'll see pictures of, of a rainbow of minority members. You won't see pictures of our white members on there because the idea behind our group is to spotlight our minority uh, professionals, largely because we want to, we want for the potential minorities coming into the field to see people who look like them and sound like them. It's not to say that our white members don't have stories. They absolutely, every single person has a story, right? And it's, it's probably a really cool story. Um, but we hope that our white members would understand, well, we hope our white colleagues will understand and become members uh, that we're putting the spotlight on our minority members. The reason, the biggest reason we don't want to discriminate and push away our white colleagues is that white people have things to offer. You know, um, we've had white members offer um, memberships into their other groups, uh, ABMA, AZAC, you know, groups like that. Um, they offer guidance. White people can mentor students of color as well, you know, just like I can mentor a white student. Uh, so we want to make sure that people understand that this is a, this is not a, there's nothing about this group that's exclusionary. We, we want participation um, and, and we, we appreciate anybody who, who wants to become a part of our group. There is no membership fee. Um, we are actually a group that's, that's functioning solely off of volunteer work. And I see that being where we go for the foreseeable future. There will be a time where we need money if we want to move to different levels. We're not there yet. We wanna see what we can accomplish with just our volunteer base, our base of professionals who are volunteering their time. And so there's, that's why there's no membership cost for, for joining AMZAP. It's very simple, just be a professional. <laughs> you can be a part of our group. Yes, that is just wonderful. And I think just highlighting also, you know, coming up with solutions to, you know, you don't want to go down the accreditation rabbit hole, which you didn't. So obviously for, for good reasons, but really keeping it open and keeping it inclusive as much as possible, but still having some criteria to make decisions on. And of course, you know, the spotlight uh, has to be on your purpose, you know, on your mission, on the people um, and um, and yeah, white people playing supportive roles and and other sorts of roles. But yeah, this, you need to focus on you know what that spotlight should show, right? And that is role models and it's inspiration and all that. So that's wonderful. And and of course, you also have 
organizations, right? Organizations can join to support you. And perhaps at the end almost of this podcast, you can also talk, you know, a little bit. Of course, we'll make sure there's links, but tell us a little bit more. How can organizations support you? Absolutely. So like animal concepts, for example, um, <laughs> um, we we are grassroots. We're about as grassroots as it can get. So we literally, when we pushed our boulder over the ledge, we sent a series of emails out to professionals who we knew, uh, who we know in the field. Um, almost these letters of just, hey, here we are. What do you think of this goal? And that was based off of the traction that we got when we when we took this to Smithsonian leadership, um, we thought, well, maybe leaders at other zoos will will like this um, idea, and it worked. Um, it got the attention of some of our our leader, our friends in leadership. Um, again, because I think it's just a topic that that lots of people feel strongly about. A lot of people feel strongly about race and ethnicity being represented, um, which makes me very grateful for working in this field. Um, and so we came up with this idea this was another thing that came up on evolution on the evolution was well why don't we ask for support organizations and what does that mean well it really quite literally just means much like our membership our individual membership you believe in our mission and you want to help somehow now to a lot of people that means how much money can we give you and for a lot of reasons we can't take money um, a lot of people, I, I hope people don't think we're, we're, um, we're being elitist or looking down on the prospect of getting money. But again, several of us who started this, well, the group who started this organization are Smithsonian employees. And as Smithsonian employees, we cannot take money from an, from a, 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 a we can't start a, a, a company. Um, and we can't, we, we can't, we can't do anything that, that is, for gain uh, in any sense. So we can't touch money. Um, and that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because what that means is everything that you're seeing from AMZAP is solely volunteer, voluntary. And I think that's great. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But for support organizations, what that means is we thought, why, why are we trying to be difficult about this? Let's be simple. Give your employees the opportunity to participate in the group. That's pretty simple. You know, and some people have looked and almost said to us, can't be that simple. Of course, my employees have the option to join. But if you think about it through the lens of, a, of someone in a position of power, you may think, of course, my employees know that they can do this. But ask your employees if they know that they can do that. Because a lot of employees are afraid to join organizations because they think, if I use my, my work email, I'm going to get written up or I'm going to get potentially fired you know, for, for dealing with this organization. Um, if you believe, if you've looked at AMZAP and you, as, a, as a, someone in a position of power, agree with our mission and would like to give your employees the freedom to fully participate in AMZAP, let them know. Like, you know and I've had people from major zoos contact me from senior positions at major zoos contact me and ask me. And after I told them that they've sent letters cascading down to their employees that please participate in this organization. And if you, if you feel so inclined, and then we get these floods of, of uh, membership applications, which is great. Um, and, and that's what we want. We want people to, to know that, that you as a, as a large zoo, small zoo, 
a company that supports zoos do support support your employees uh, participating. Other ways that that support organizations help us is ultimately we have the goal of creating some sort of a mentorship, apprenticeship, internship, uh, some sort of a program in which we can send our students to a zoo for some practical experience working in the zoo, whether that's working directly with veterinarians, whether that's working with uh, the animal care staff, whether that's working with researchers. And I'm careful not to just say internships because it doesn't stop at just internships. That It may be an apprenticeship, it may be a volunteer thing, it may be just a, a shadow experience. I don't know what that'll look like, but if, the participating zoos are willing to host a student or a, a person wanting to come in, then that will help us uh, get along further. Um, so it's about building that network of, of zoos that are saying outwardly, uh, we support this and we'll do whatever we can within our means to help support it. And, you know, there, there's, again, much like our, our individual membership, there's no financial contribution necessary. Uh, actually, we we couldn't take your money if, if we wanted to, you know, so we, but we can take your reputation. And that's, that's the payment that we get is when we get a, a zoo system, like the Disney system, the Disney zoos joined zoo, the seas and, and, um, and the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, animal kingdom and the seas joined our facility. What that says is that, Hey, Disney is behind us some of these other zoos may feel confident in, in getting behind us because Disney has gotten behind us. We get the, we get to ride the coattails of your success, you know, uh, and that's not just the Disney's of the world. That's the small zoos too. That's the, the small zoos, the companies that support zoos. Um, you know, and we get, that helps us to increase our reach because a part of our, re, our, our goal is to just look, under every rock and behind every shadow to find the minority employees who literally are sitting there who have no idea that there are others around them who have the same feelings and thoughts. You know, um, thinking of some of our, our brothers and sisters who work in smaller zoos, sometimes they're the only minority who works in their, in their specific work unit, sometimes even in their whole institution. Uh, and they just don't know. That, that there are others around them who, who literally speak the same language <laughs> and have had some of the same experiences. And, and that can be very comforting. So that's what our support organizations can do is help us turn those rocks and look behind those shadows. Um, we've even had at least one organization who didn't know that they had a minority working for them because that minority was white passing. Um, and when that minority person joined our, our institution, it was kind of an eye opener for that institution who thought that they were, they were all white. And we said, no, you're not all white. Here's somebody, you know? And so that, those are the kinds of things that, that people can do. And those make me feel good. This is really uh, touching me also because you are using such powerful words about turning the rocks and, you know, the shadows and, you know, you already used the word, the spotlight, Right. It's to, to put things in the light so that they can be seen like the people can be seen, but the issues can be seen. They can be brought to light. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all this. It's really, really inspirational as well as, you know, deep um, 
food for a lot of thought and uh, deliberation. And I guess, you know, we always um, like to end the podcast with a story and it can be, of course, revolving around you and animals or related to AMZAP or something. Um, maybe you, at the end of this podcast, you can share a story with us that you are inclined to share. Yeah, I think, um, well, you've indulged me quite a bit. I really appreciate you you putting the spotlight onto a group like this. It's, it's really very, very kind of you. And um, we definitely appreciate it. We, the, the minority community, I think, I, I hopefully I can speak for the minority community in this sense, we appreciate it. Uh, the, the, the story that I think that I would share is a, is a really simple one. Um, it, it, and it, it happened ever since I, we started this group, um, is that I got a thank you email from a, a black woman who was a, an animal keeper um, and is now retired. Um, and the, the email was very sweet and, and it really put things into perspective for me um, of how not stupid an idea this, this whole AMZAP thing was or is. And, and it was just a thank you email that thank you for starting this. I'm a retired zookeeper um, and I am a black woman. And I was, uh, you know, she gave me her retirement year. Um, and, uh, and she said there, there was nothing like this when she was a keeper uh, and she wished there were, but she's glad to see that there is now uh, something for the community. And that was just like, wow, this is, uh, this is reaching people who, are retired and they're thanking me. So it's almost the reverse of, of me sending that, um, that having the, we weren't the first section uh, to say thank you to the, to her and her, her generation of, of keepers that, that led us to be where we are. It, it made me feel like having a group like this is important and that each one of our members is making that generation proud of of where where we are coming as minorities in this field so it's 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 really it it leaves you speechless really like just wow i appreciate it yes yeah thank you so much i'm really i look forward already to connecting with you or you know part others on the steering committee or others of your community and uh, in another podcast. But thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and sharing with us all the really, you know, I want to congratulate you. And I'm really, we are really delighted that we um, can help and support anyway. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sabrina. This has been great.